Good morning, everyone. By his words, God created the heavens and the earth. By his words, God sustains the heavens and the earth. And in the early pages of the Bible, we see God's particular pattern of creation. It's a wonderful, beautiful, poetic account. And in it, we find a, 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 just a rich dynamic of God creating and then God kind of metaphorically stepping back and looking at what he's created and affirming it was good. So God creates and then God steps back and affirms it was good. And we find in the pages of the, of the Bible in the book of Genesis that after God created everything that has been created, God saw that it was very good. So we then ask the question, well, given everything that God has created, what is like, what is the pinnacle of creation? What is the crown of the created order? Well, it's not the lakes or the rivers or the, 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 the valleys or the mountains. It's not sun or moon or stars. The crown of the created order is humanity. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 uh, to 27, we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Humanity is the crown of the created order. You see, humanity is created in the image of God, the likeness of God, with some of the characteristics of God. We are made to reflect God to the world and to represent God in the world. Now, let's be clear, we're not the same as God. There's a difference between creator and created. But we are, in fact, distinct from all other created things in that we are made in God's image. So humanity is the crown of the created order, made to reflect God to the world and to represent God in the world. Well, how is that to happen? I'm glad you've asked that question. Let's read on verses 28 through to 31 of Genesis chapter 1. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. How is humanity to reflect God in the world? How is humanity to uh, represent God in the world? Well, we find in, in those sentences that we've just read that we are to be fruitful and fill. We are to multiply. You see, more image bearers, okay? Be fruitful and fill. We're also to bring care and order. 
You see, God's intention, really, if we, we think about it closely, God's intention in what he's saying here to humanity, his intention, his heart, his desire, his plan is for lots of people and lots of things. It's for diversity of people and diversity of things. It's for good uh, good care and organisation of people and of things. God brings both a blessing and a command to that end. There's a command and a blessing. What for? Well, what we've just described, if you think about it carefully, we've actually just described a city. God's intention is for a city. A city full of image bearers, a city full of people who reflect him and represent him. And God gives a command to humanity, go and do that. God gives a blessing, here's the enablement to do that. And wonderfully, God provides also resource. And in the next chapter, in fact, of Genesis, we read that God planted a garden. God himself is a gardener, the very first gardener. God planted a garden called Eden. The garden was cultivated, it was organised, it was designed, it was fruitful. And beyond the garden, okay, so the rest of the world beyond the garden was uncultivated. It was wild. Now, there was plenty of rich resource there. We, we hear later on that there was gold underneath the land and, and minerals and resources, and there was plenty of potential out there. But one particular patch of land God himself planted as a garden. And it is in that garden that the first humans, Adam and Eve, are placed. So humanity receives a command and the blessing and the resource. And it's as though God's intention is to kind of, okay, guys, start in this garden, okay, and extend and build out as you go. Command, blessing, resource. They start in a garden, but the intention is always for a city. A city full of image bearers, people like God, doing like God. You know, I, um, I quite enjoy traveling to new places, new towns, new areas, new cities. And, and often as you, you travel, um, you might see some signs up saying that you're entering this particular city or this county. And um, sometimes you'll get the name of the place and then you'll get a little motto or a, a description about the place or what, how the city or the town feels about itself. Um, so I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I was at a train station and um, I saw a train that was bound for Plymouth. I don't know whether it was like the Plymouth Express or whatever, but um, on the train had in big emblazoned words, Plymouth. And then underneath Plymouth, it said the Ocean City. Now, I don't know whether that's an official title or not, but it's a signifier maybe in terms of how Plymouth sees and understands itself. Or you could think of, uh, in America, you could think of the city of Philadelphia. It's known as a, known as a city of brotherly love. Or uh, New York is known as the, the Big Apple. So oftentimes cities have kind of signifiers or signs, right? Well, let's think about the city that God is intending for us to build. What sign would be over that city? What would it say? Well, I believe that if that city had a sign, it would say the glory of God and the joy of people. The glory of God and the joy of people. 
You see, let's just think about it for a few moments, okay? So humanity made in the image of God, made to reflect God uh, to the world, represent God in the world. Okay, a place full of image bearers. What that means is that humans should, you know, Adam should be able to turn to Eve. And because Eve is made in the image of God, the likeness of God, Adam should see something of God in Eve. And his heart should go up to God in praise and worship. He should glorify God for what he sees in Eve. Well, imagine a city full of image bearers. Reflecting God, representing God, all for his glory and for our joy as well. And it is just worth saying at this point, I mean, I've used the word glory, I've used the word joy. Um, oftentimes in church, we, we hear words and terms like these, peace is another one, holiness is another one. And for many of us, we kind of get that. We feel like, well, I, I, live, I live my life by kind of, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday. And then there's church stuff. There's spiritual stuff, which I recognise is important and is good, but does feel quite separate. And it's, you know, on church time that I engage with the holiness and the, uh, and, and the, and the peace and the love and all of those spiritual words over there. I understand this is a good thing and this is a good thing, but I'm not quite sure how the two match up. Friends, can I just tell us that our God, he expresses himself or he reveals himself to us in concrete ways. The glory of God is not just an idea out there, it's not just a concept, but it is revealed and expressed to us in concrete ways. And one of those ways is the city. Okay, so the city is for the glory of God and for the joy of people. Something that you can actually point to, you can say there is a city there, there are people there, there are things there that I can interact with and I can walk around and stuff that I can do. That is God's intention. The glory of God and the joy of people. So that's act one. Revelation. Act two, we're going to um, fast forward through history. So we've looked at Genesis chapter one, now on to Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to read for us verses one through to nine, which say this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, friends, by this time, humanity had build, been building cities for a while. So there was the original blessing and command and resource given to Adam and Eve. And between then and this particular point in history, um, some cities have been 
built. And in this case, an opportunity presented, uh, presented itself on a nice stretch of land in a place called Shinar. And they begin to build a city there. But as we think about the city, we've already discussed, you know, the, the, the sign that would be over, you know, God's intended city, right? Already discussed that. Let's look at the foundations of this particular city built in Babel. You see, when we look at the foundations, we find something quite interesting because on, on first reading, on first look, we think this is fantastic. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? God calls us to build cities. Well, let's just look at what's said. Let's look at the foundations. Because if we give attention to the words that are said, we read this. What do they say? Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth when we actually listen to what's being said we realize that in the foundations of what's going on here this particular city in babel is built on the foundation of self it's all about them doesn't quite sound like glory of God and joy of people, does it? Okay, so there's, there's something a little bit flimsy going on there in terms of the foundations of what they're building. Or I could maybe describe it in a few, a few other ways. I could use some phrases that might um, capture what this um, kind of foundation of self is. Some of the foundational beliefs, maybe, or thoughts that were in their minds. Just track with me. I've got three of them. The first one. First one is this. We can achieve anything if we work together. Second one, uh, our abilities and our resources are for us. Third one, we can reach into the heavens. God is not necessary. They are trying to build on a foundation of self. And we discover eventually that they, they leave off building and the tower and the city crumble, not due to poor engineering necessarily, um, not due to defective materials or defective tools, but the reason why the city did not last, the reason why we don't know about the city anymore, we don't see it anymore, the reason is defective hearts. You see, the problem at the root of this city, and the problem, in fact, at the root of every city, is sin. A word that the Bible uses and we occasionally use in broader culture but not very often and when we do use it often we use it wrongly so how do we understand sin well there are many ways of describing sin I'm going to offer three ways and this isn't an exhaustive list but three ways of us understanding or describing sin here's the first one we could describe sin as um, a turning away from God and a turning towards ourselves we could describe sin as disregard for God and disrespect for God. We could describe sin as denying what God gives freely to steal from God what belongs to him alone. Okay, three, just three ways of describing sin. Now let's just think, for, think about it for a few moments. To, to multiply, to fill, to have dominion is a good thing. To want to build up is a good thing. It's a entirely human, natural, innate thing. And if you don't believe me, OK, um, just like 
find a group of children, okay, and just provide them with a box of Duplo or, or Lego and see what happens. They will start to build. Or maybe you in your own, maybe even in your office, right? Maybe in your office, um, your particular patch of land, your desk, you like it to be constructed in a certain way and things to be ordered in this way. And you look around the rest of the office and you think, oh, my goodness gracious me, why are they doing it like If I had my way, I, I would organise the office in a certain way. In fact, if I had my way, I would organise all offices in my particular way. We all have this kind of uh, building, filling, multiplying, caring, organising faculty within us. It is an innate human activity. Absolutely. However, to build on a poor foundation always leads to problems. And this is what we find here in Babel. It leads to problems because sin corrupts absolutely everything. And sin has gotten hold of them. Sin got hold of Adam and Eve right at the start. Sin has gotten hold of each and every one of us. None of us are immune to the effects of sin. And that's a really important point to make because oftentimes when we read maybe accounts like this in the Bible, uh, we, we, look at the, um, we look at what other people do, right? And we think, oh, that's, that's terrible. That's, that's really not a good thing. And sometimes because of geographical distance, uh, because of a cultural distance, because of temporal distance, it was way, way, way back then, we can kind of distance ourselves, right? But can I, can I encourage us, friends, that when we read the words of Scripture, yes, we want to understand that oftentimes we're reading about people in situations a long, long time ago in lands far, far away. But when we read them, we must understand that these things are written for our benefit. Some of these things are written for our encouragement, but some are, are, are written for a warning to us. So when we read these words, it would be wise for us to consider, well, what foundations are we building on? Because the reality is we are all building a city. We are all contributing to the city, whether for its good or for its bad. All of us, by virtue of you know, living within a metropolitan area or an area in which there are loads of people, we are all contributing to the city. What foundations are we building on? You know, guys, um, 1600 years ago, roughly 1600 years ago, um, there uh, lived a man in North Africa called Augustine. Now, Augustine was a man who loved God and followed God. And he desperately wanted other people to love God and follow God. So he spent much of his time teaching people how to love God and to follow God. And occasionally he wrote some books and he wrote some big books uh, about how to love and follow God. One of, one of his best books... Uh, was a book written about the city and how Christians are to understand and interact with the city. And this particular book was called The City of God. And in it, Augustine distinguishes two types of city built on two types of foundations. Here's a little something of what he says. The earthly city was created by self-love, reaching the point of contempt for God. The heavenly city, by the love of God, carried as far as contempt of self. Augustine distinguishes the city of God from the city of man. They are distinguished from one another by their foundations, either the love of God or the love of self. Let's think about our 
foundations? What are we building? What are you building? As you think uh, about the city in which you live, consider to what, to what extent are you motivated by the love of God? To what extent is your decision to live in the city even informed by the love of God? Are you here because you think the city is primarily about you and about your comfort and an opportunity for you to know to do okay financially or to live in a place that is comfortable for you? Where does God feature in your thinking about the city? Where does God feature in terms of your feeling about the city? Do you feel the same way about this city as God does? Do you know how God feels about this city? Do you interact with the city in a way that is pleasing and honouring to God? Do you consider how you interact, where you live, how you get around the city, where you work, uh, how you spend money, how you spend time? Does God feature at all in any, any of that? It's just worth us giving consideration. Foundations are so, so important. If we build on a poor foundations, essentially whatever we build will crumble and fall. And this is what we find here, in fact, in Babel. You see, God comes down. Well, he doesn't quite come down because, you know, God is everywhere, all places, all times. But in the way that this is written, it's trying to make a particular point. You see, these guys were so impressed at what they had made. They were so impressed at building up this thing which would make a name for themselves, would make them famous and would reach up into the heavens. They were so impressed with themselves. But what we read, and I, and I think we're getting a particular point here, is that the Lord came down to see the city. So it's as though God would have to come down, he'd have to step down, he'd have to kneel down and almost get the microscope out to see this very impressive thing that they've made, which reaches up into the heavens. God comes down, he shuts down the city and he disperses them. And I actually love uh, what happens here and I'll tell you why I love it. Because given the way that they've turned away from God and they've done their own thing, done it for their own glory, you would have thought that by rights, God should just shut down the whole thing, wipe them off the face of the earth. What does God do? God demonstrates his perfect wisdom. He demonstrates his, his wisdom and his power and his mercy. You see, God has a goal, right? God has an intention. God has a mission, the city of God. He's not going to be stopped from that. He disperses them and essentially says, guys, off you go. Get back to work. Get back to what you're supposed to be doing. God will not be stopped. So wise, so powerful, so merciful. They're not supposed to just congregate together and do their own thing for their own, for their own benefit. No, they are to go out. They are to spread, fill the earth, multiply, build up as you go. It expresses something of the heart of God, the God who, who doesn't kind of just draw all things to himself, but the, the God who gives, the expansive God. Act one, revelation. Act two, 
Rebellion Act, three, restoration. Friends, you know, for all of human history, people have been trying to crack the code of how to build a happy, prosperous and healthy society. People have been spent a lot of time thinking about it, uh, writing books about it, talking about it. No one has managed it as yet. Nobody has managed it yet. A happy, prosperous, healthy society or civilization or nation or city. We've all tried and we've all fallen short. And part of the reason why we've fallen short, friends, is that it is impossible to do so apart from God. It is impossible for us to to um, to achieve that, you know, that 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 deep desire that we have in all of us, that deep desire for a uh, for a life uh, that is fulfilling for a, uh, a community and society that is happy, healthy, prosperous, functioning it is impossible to see such things apart from God. And even when people have been focused on God and trying to love God and trying to follow God, just like Augustine, even in those cases, people have struggled. Why? Because sin, again, sin corrupts our best efforts. We read uh, in the book of Hebrews in the Bible, chapter 11, the Bible's Hall of Fame. And that is full of um, people who are commended by God for their faith. And the, the, the Bible Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us some insight, some insight as to how we might possibly get to that city of God. So we, we recognise that sin is a barrier, sin is a difficulty, sin always seems to find its way into the foundations of everything that we do. But Hebrews chapter 11 may have some answers for us. So I'm going to turn to Hebrews 11. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 9 and 10 say this. By faith, this is talking about a man called Abraham. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Then on to verses 13 through to 16. These all died. This is all of the, the Hall of Fame, those um, people who are commended for their faith in God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. In those sentences, we uh, discover that God is the architect. God is the architect of the city. God is the builder of the city. God is the one who prepares a city to be received by faith. So how does that work then? How does, how does that work? Well, I'll tell you how that works. The Bible tells us that the eternal son of God, that's Jesus, he became a man, okay? Jesus has always existed, eternal son of God, but at a particular point in history, he added a human nature to his God nature. And he was born to a virgin in a town called Bethlehem. And Jesus grew up, as, as we all do, uh, and he lived a life. And he, he began to, around about the age 30, he began to proclaim the kingdom of God. God. 
He proclaimed the kingdom of God by his words and by his actions. By his words, he began to teach people about you know, what God's ways were. He began to kind of talk about the ways of heaven and what they would look like on earth. So he proclaimed the kingdom of God with his words. He proclaimed the kingdom of God with his actions. He demonstrated, he demonstrated this is how things are in heaven and this is how they are to be on earth. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. Jesus being fully man and fully God, uh, he could be described as both heavenly and earthly. And through Jesus, the Jesus who proclaimed the kingdom of God, through Jesus, the city of God, okay, the city of God began to break through and began to permeate the city of man. It was as though God himself was building the city through Jesus. And whenever you look at the pages of the Bible, whenever you look at the, the, the four accounts of the life of Jesus, you see that. You see how God's perfect ways, God's perfect heavenly ways uh, were reflected in Jesus. It was like the city of God was coming through him and finding place in the city of man. That's why he drew such a crowd wherever he was. It would come through Jesus. Jesus gave a foretaste of the city of God and people kept on coming back to him because they recognised this was something that they desperately wanted and were unable to achieve by themselves. So Jesus gave a foretaste of the city of God. He gave not only a foretaste but entrance to the city of God. You see, Jesus in some ways could be described like an embassy, right? So if you're traveling to certain nations, before you go there, you need to receive permission from the nation to, to enter. You need to get a visa. Friends, it is possible for people like you and me, people who have sinned, who've disregarded and disrespected God, who've turned away from God, those who've had a, the barrier of sin between us and God, it is possible for us to enter the perfect, wonderful, beautiful glorious city of God. How? Through Jesus. We come into the embassy of Jesus. And you know the wonderful thing? There's no, there's no background check. Uh, there were no tests to take. Uh, there, there were no references. We come in purely on the basis of trust in him. We entrust ourselves to him. We entrust ourselves and recognize that he is the one who deals with our sin. He is the one who, who, who kicked down the barrier of sin on the cross as he gave his life for our sin, taking on himself the punishment that should be on each and every one of us. That, that sin which was a barrier between us and God. Jesus literally like karate kicked that thing out of the way. And for those who put their trust in Jesus, they are given citizenship. Now, we already have citizenship of the earthly city, the city of man. But by entrusting ourselves to Jesus, we are given dual citizenship. We are now citizens of the heavenly city, the city of God also. It is therefore through the church that the city of God takes root in the city of man. And that is a tremendous privilege and responsibility. The church is those who are in Christ, in relationship with Christ, in union with Christ. It is now through us that that perfect city, which we all long for, which we all absolutely desire. It is now through us that the city of God is able to take root in the city of man. What do we do with that? What do we do with that privilege and that 
responsibility? Well, I would say that like Jesus, what we do is we, we talk about that better city. We know that it's not just a pipe dream. It's not just an idea out there. It is an absolute reality. We talk about that city because as citizens of that city, we've had a taste of it. We've had an experience of it. Friends, I want to say that so many in our city of Bristol have not had a taste of the heavenly city. We have. So we talk to people about that wonderful, beautiful, glorious city of which we are citizens. We talk about the better city. We demonstrate the better city. We demonstrate the better city. We talk about it. We demonstrate it. We pray. We pray as Jesus did. His disciples came to him um, one day and asked, um, Jesus, can you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? And he taught them to pray. And one of the lines in that particular prayer was, um, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. And that is the desperate heart cry and prayer of God's people, God's church. May your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. It is our privilege to pray that prayer. We can pray that prayer with authority. Why? Because we are citizens of the heavenly city as well as the earthly city. Do you know what? Everything that this city needs is there. We have full access to all the resource that this city needs. What a privilege, can I say, church. Talk about the better city, demonstrate the better city, pray, pray that heaven would come down to earth. Friends, Jesus is building that city through his church across the world. The city built by him and revealed in perfection at his return, it looks a little bit like this. I'm going to read from the last book of the Bible, Revelation, chapter 21 and verses 9 through to 27. Here we are. Then came one of the seven angels with the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. 
and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honour of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in a Lamb's book of life. Friends, we started in a garden. We will end in a city, a city built for the glory of God and the joy of people, a city built by Christ himself. A city in which humanity will live with God forever. A city in which all created things will function in perfection and in harmony. This is the city to which we are headed. And our response, how do we respond in the here and now? Well, we pray as the writer of these words pray, the man called John, we simply pray, come Lord Jesus. Jesus. 